0: Romans fifteen eighteen to 29, for a sermon I'm titled, Travel Plans of a Driven Man. which you follow along as I read? Here's what it says. For I will not presume to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem round as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where... Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who have, no, have had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in this region, and since I have for many years long, uh, had a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way uh, there by you. When I have come, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem and uh, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have uh, been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yet they were pleased to do so. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they were indebted. Uh, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore. When I finally finish this and have put my seal, of, uh, seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of uh, you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know, one of the fallouts of the COVID uh, shutdown was the collapse of the international travel. According to the World Tourism Organization, international tourism declined globally 73% in uh, 2020 as compared to 2019. This loss uh, led to massive losses in revenue for uh, tourist-dependent economies. Cruise lines were shut down, hotels sat empty, and airline companies were looking for government bailouts. The slump continued in 2021, but now in 2022, international travel is coming back with a roar. According to a recent Bloomberg story, Hilton Hotels reported its revenue per available room is up 81 percent last quarter compared to 2021. Avis Budget Group Incorporated saw a 77 percent increase in uh, revenues with demand for rental vehicles climbing to pre-COVID levels in the U.S. The travel agency uh, Expedia expects this to be one of the Best summers on record with accommodations in top locations already selling out and carriers including United boosting their capacity and transatlantic flights. And Airbnb said they expected substantial demand for travel heading into the busy summer season. International bookings are surpassing 2019 levels. Having been shut down and cooped up for the last two years, people want to fly the coop, spread their wings, and soar, to far-off destinations. Are you one of those people who likes to travel? Now, I know for some of you, the thought of heading down to Minneapolis strikes fear into your hearts. It's a big city. What if you get lost? Besides anything you need, you can get in Rice Lake. But for others, whatever your apprehensions, whatever your concerns, you set them aside when you think of getting on a plane, flying across the ocean, and being on the other side of the world in no more than seven to ten hours. My sons are world travelers. Nathan wanted to visit 30 countries by the time he turned 30. I think he made it. Jason used to travel a lot for fun, but now he has three little kids, three years and hunger, younger, and so almost all of his travel is just simply going to be for business reasons. Now, People who travel internationally today cover great distances in short times with relative ease, but that was not the way it was in Paul's day. I mean, yes, there were ships that sailed the Mediterranean, but it wasn't unusual for a ship to go down. Sure, there were Roman roads that connected most of the empire, but uh, traveling them even on horseback took a long time and even longer on foot. And yet, that's how Paul traveled in his missionary journeys. Did you know that he traveled some 15,000 miles during his lifetime? 5,000 by sea and another 10,000 by foot? Why was Paul always on the move? Why did he travel so much? Well, it wasn't so he could collect stamps on his passport, but rather so that he could collect souls for Christ's kingdom. And his trips were not uh, leisurely strolls for the countryside, but strategically mapped out with the goal of planting cities or uh, churches in key cities, ones that would have the greatest potential in the spread of the gospel. And after concluding this formal part of the letter, back in verse 13 in this chapter, And then in 14 and 16, he speaks of how God was using him as an apostle to the Gentiles. Here in these verses that we're looking at today, Paul speaks of the ground that he had covered in his gospel preaching and his upcoming plans for going to Jerusalem and then visiting Rome, after which he would go on to Spain. Well, today, we want to look at these travel plans of a driven man to see how he went about fulfilling his ministry. And we want to think about our part as a church and individuals in bringing the gospel to the nation. So why don't we pray and get into the text? Our Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy. These are just kind of personal remarks by Paul about what he had planned, but in it we see some principles and some ideas that are applicable even to our life. 2,000 years later. So, Father, speak to us through your word because that's what we need to hear. So, bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since Paul simply didn't, isn't laying out, is not laying out his travel plans here, rather than setting forth some deep theological truth, it's a little harder to outline this section than other parts of the letter. I think it might help if we just use his destination spots on his itinerary as the outline. So, here's how I have it. Write down these four phrases. First, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. From Jerusalem to Illyricum. And that's 18 to 21. Second, finally, to Rome. That's 22 to 24. Next, but first, to Jerusalem. That's 25 to 27. And then last, then on to Spain, 28 to 29. From Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now remember what we saw in the text last week. Paul was a man on a mission to get the gospel out to Gentile nations. And though he had been circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, Pharisees, as far as zeal, persecuting the church, as far as righteousness based on the law, he said, I was faultless. Yet on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with a living Christ. And as a result, his whole world was t- turned upside down, and his works' righteousness approach to religion was shattered. Paul had to not only rethink, but also repudiate his misguided religious zeal and his earnest efforts to gain God's favor by keeping the law. In that same passage, in Philippians, he goes on to say this, "...but whatever things were gained to me, all the stuff I had in the plus column, these things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord." for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that comes on the basis of faith. I was recently watching a YouTube video where a rabbi was trying to argue against the Christian idea of salvation by grace. He said, you know, the Christians believe that as a result of the fall There's nothing that we can do to merit salvation. As a matter of fact, we can't even incline our heart in that direction to want to. And that's why we needed Jesus to die for our sins. And Of course, he was right in stating that. And that is what we believe because that's what the scripture teaches. But he said the idea that we're so bad and so lost is offensive to people like him and other religious people who are trying to live a moral life to gain God's approval. I thought you put your finger on the exact problem. The cross strips away our self-righteousness. That's what Paul had come to understand after his encounter with the risen Christ. But it's not just Jews who cannot gain salvation by the law, neither can Gentiles by any of their good works. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that even the, the faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. The message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ is the good news that Paul proclaimed on his missionary journeys. This ministry was his pride and joy, but Paul's boast was not in what he did for Christ, but what Christ did through him. As he said, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in power and signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul was sent out on his first missionary journey from Antioch. But before that, we read about him going from Damascus down to Judea, where, quote, he was moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Now, Lyricum is roughly the area of modern-day Yugoslavia, which broke up back in the 1990s into a number of smaller states. Now, Paul went pre, uh, planting churches across Asia Minor in key cities like Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi in the area of Galatia. And he says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul was a pioneer frontier Missionary, whose 10-year mission was to explore strange new lands, to seek out new life and new civilization, and to boldly preach the gospel where no one has preached the gospel before. And what adventures and dangers he faced in bringing the gospel message to these strange new lands. I mean, listen to the summary of his travel experience from his three missions trips. Defending himself against his critics in in Corinth, he said this, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, meaning his boasting he's going to do. I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. He had been beaten so many times, I can't count them. Oh yeah, that's right, I was beaten there too. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. He had been whipped five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep, meaning just floating in the water until someone picked him up. I've been in frequent journeys, in danger in rivers, danger in robbers, danger from my countrymen, danger from the Gentiles, danger from the, in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger, danger Will Robbins. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without me becoming weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? Paul did not meander aimlessly through life. He was driven to complete his mission that Christ had given him and he was willing to risk life and limb to do so. Let me ask you a question. What are you willing to risk to get the gospel out? What are you willing to endure to see people saved? Truth of the matter is, a lot of us are not willing to endure rejection by our family. So we don't say anything. You know, there's something really weird that we do in our families. We pray for our family members for years and years and years and years, and then we wait until about a day before they die and give them the gospel when they're on morphine and they can't understand it. That's strange. Well, Paul wanted everyone to hear the gospel, but he was intentional and strategic in the way he went about his business. As I said, he went to key cities to plant new churches. Corinth, the port city. Ephesus, the fourth largest city in the empire. Philippi, a city with a lot of retired military guys. One of the great needs of our day is to have solid, Christ-exalting, Bible-teaching churches in strategic cities in America, places like Washington, D.C., Hollywood, San Francisco, Chicago, and for us, Madison, Wisconsin. I think Griffin Thomas was right when he said, if you reach the cities, the villages will take care of themselves. Think about it. Where is the influence in our culture coming from? It's from those areas, isn't it? As they say, as California goes, so goes the nation. That brings us to our second point, though, finally in Rome. Now, if Paul was looking to establish churches in strategic cities, well, then how come he hadn't been to Rome yet? Well, two reasons. First of all, there was already a church in the capital before Paul ever got there. The Roman Catholic Church claims that Peter founded the church in Rome and that he was the first pope. It's more likely that the church in Rome was founded by Jews who had been in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given, and they went back and formed new bodies of believers. Paul was focusing on planting churches in places without a Christian witness. Secondly, though, it's because Paul was so deeply engaged in his missionary activity and work that he hadn't had time yet to go to Rome, even though he always wanted to be there. He writes in verses 22 to 24, look what it says. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. By the way, sometimes it's not that there isn't a will, there's just no way. Everything's on God's time in your life and in my life, and it will happen according to his schedule. But he says, but now, with no further place for me in this region, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way to on my way there by you, when I first have first enjoyed your company for a while. Now, Paul's not saying that everyone in those areas had already heard the gospel and so there was no one left to convert. Rather, he's telling us that he had accomplished his goal of planting churches across the region. And now that he could say mission accomplished, he wanted to go to Rome and on his way to Spain and spend some time with them. Do you remember at the beginning of this letter, Paul wrote this to him. He said, that I always in my prayers make mention of you i making requests for you. If perhaps at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you and uh, that you might be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you uh, while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I might attain some fruit among you even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Romans one ten to 13. Paul understood the importance of Christians spending time with each other and encouraging one another. I mean, you think about a little piece of coal in the fire. What happens when you pull that out and you just set it aside? It immediately starts to go cold. So also with Christians, if they remove themselves from the fellowship and the mutual encouragement that comes from other believers, they start to grow cold in their spiritual lives. I mean, look, you need other Christians around you. I mean, wildebeests in Africa know that they're safe when they're in the herd. If they go wandering off by themselves into the tall grass, they're easy pickings for the lions. First Peter 5 8 says this: be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There really is someone called Satan and his minions. Demons that seek to destroy your faith. And to come between you and the living God. Well, Paul said he wanted to enjoy your company for a while, he says. Do you enjoy being around God's people? I mean, over the years, I've dealt with people in church who've told me on a number of occasions that they just feel more comfortable around their non-Christian friends than their Christian friends. Really? That's scary to me. John tells us we know that we've passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 1 John 3, 14. Christians have been given a supernatural love for each other. And if you don't enjoy being around God's people, there's something wrong with you. But notice that Paul is not only looking to be a blessing to the Romans, but also to get some support from the Romans. Look go what it says in verse 24, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. The gospel is free, folks, but it costs money to get the message out. Paul was looking for some financial help for his next mission trip. Possibly he was hoping for someone in the church in Rome to join him in going to Spain. By the way, speaking of money, that brings us to the third place Paul mentions on his itinerary, which is uh, Jerusalem. This is verse 25 to 27. But first to Jerusalem. Paul goes on to say this, But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. On Paul's day, many of the Jewish believers in Judea were quite poor. Why? That might have been just a simple matter of economics. I mean, you know, if you're in a church like ours, a small church, church in a small town you have to grow just to stay the same size because every year you're going to have kids who graduate from school who go off to college and most of them almost all of them are not coming back here other than to visit occasionally because there's not a lot of jobs in the area in small towns we're 90 miles from the cities some people drive to the cities not many are going to do that Now, I think it's interesting. Is it going to change now that more people are working remotely? Are they going to see the beauty of a Grantsburg-like area and decide they'd rather live here than somewhere down in Minneapolis? Eh, Maybe. I don't know. But Jerusalem was not a small town. But then again, either is Detroit, Michigan. And yet there's poverty there even more so than there is here. Did you know that at one time, Detroit had the highest per capita income of any city in America? Another factor was the fact that there had been a famine just a few years before this. Jews in Paul's day were good at providing support for their own fellow Jews, but Christian Jews were cut off from that support because of their faith in Jesus. Whatever the reason, these believers were in dire straits. Now, what's amazing, though, when you read about this collection that Paul took up, and he mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as well, you find out that these believers were not rich Christians writing out checks to smooth over their conscience after Paul pressured them. Rather, God had done a great work in their hearts Mentioning this to the Corinthians as an example, in a second letter he wrote to him, Paul said this. He said, "Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which He has given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their poverty, our deep poverty, overflowed in a wealth of liberality. So they were afflicted, they were poor, but they were filled with joy, and as a result of that, they gave generously. He said, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of the participation and the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord by the will of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. Now there's a lot of principles related to Christian giving that are worth teasing out here. And indeed, we're going to come back to this section next week to focus more particularly on verses 25 to 27. But notice that line here where it says that in their abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, it overflowed in a wealth of liberality. As I read that, that reminded me of a story I came across about an American pastor who was visiting Korea a short time after the Korean War. And uh, he was out with a local Korean pastor, and as they were going by in the jeep, they saw uh, two people out in a field. And it was an old man behind a plow and it was a young man who looked like a teenage boy inside the plow, or in the harness, pulling it. And uh, the missionary asked the guy, he said, I suppose, you know, is there too poor to afford, afford a draft animal? He said, no. They had an oxen, but they sold it to give the money to support a pastor who was trying to reach another area. That's what we call sacrificial giving. That's what the Macedonians were doing. Now, that kind of sacrificial giving is what pleases God. And they were doing this for people that they didn't even know in Jerusalem. And by the way, I think Paul took this collection not only because he had a deep love and concern for the Jews in Judea, but also because this offering from the Gentiles given in support of the Jews would help further break down whatever lingering suspicions there was on the part of these Jewish believers towards their Gentile brethren. And it's demonstrated again and again that Jews and Gentiles truly are united as one new man in the body of Christ. So Paul goes on to write this in verse 27. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they were in, are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in spiritual things, they're indebted to minister to those also in material things. Remember Jesus? He's talking to the woman at the well, Samaritan woman. She wanted to know, you know, where's the right place to worship? Is it up here at Mount Gerizim, like we say, or down in Jerusalem, where you Jews say? And he said, woman, well, I he said, you know what? Salvation's from the Jews. Our Bible is a Jewish book. Our Savior was a Jewish man, descended from a Jewish king, David. The man who brought the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul, was a Jew. We're Gentile believers who has wild olive branches have been grafted into what is essentially a Jewish tree. And so there's a sense in which Gentiles are indebted to Jewish believers. But I have to tell you, that principle still applies today. Writing to the Galatians, Paul said this, he said, the one who's taught the word is to share all good things with those who teach it. You know, we all spend money on those things we value. I a lot of people who will complain, ah, the church only wants money But think nothing about blowing $500 at the casino in one night or laying out $50,000 for a new truck. Paul wanted to get to Rome, but he wasn't going to miss an opportunity for the Gentiles to be a blessing to the Jews in Jerusalem. So he was going there first. Well, the place mentioned last is Spain. He said, and then on to Spain, verses 28 29. Well, I've never been to Spain. Ooh, but I kind of like the music. The 70s band Three Dog Night sang a song that opened with those words. Well, Paul had never been to Spain either, but he was hoping to go there and bring the Spaniards the gospel. He says this, he says, Therefore, when I finished, meaning bringing the collection to Jerusalem, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Did Paul ever make it to Spain? We don't know. Historians aren't certain. We do know that Paul made it to Rome, but he got there not the way he intended. Paul had a, God had another way for him to go. After bringing that offering to the church in Jerusalem, we read in Acts 21, 27-30, it says, When seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him, meaning Paul, in the temple, began to stir up the crowds and laid hands on him crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and against the law in this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place. That's not true, but you know, if you're slandering people, does it really matter how much it's true? For they'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut while they were seeking to kill him. A report came to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in a confusion. You ever notice everywhere Paul went, he started a riot? There's this idea that goes out there. If we were just winsome enough in presenting the gospel, if we were just so careful on the way we worded it, that then people would accept it. It's always the fault of the Christian that we're offending people. Really? Let's put it this way. Let's say somebody came to your house from the Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. By the way, I had someone, (laughs) this is a side note, I had somebody call me and told me, you just won a BMW from the Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. I said, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. They said, we need to know some questions so we can send it. They'll be out in the next week or so. What color do you want? I said, let's go black. You know, this, this, and that. You know, they're asking all these things and it's going to be, I'm saying, well, I'm sure excited about this. Looking forward to seeing them. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking, okay, what's the angle? They didn't ask for anything, so I'm expecting their call back. They, I did get a call. They didn't show up. I was really surprised. They must have gotten the wrong address. They asked for my address. And you know, it was about a month later, I got a call again. The same offer. And I told them, I said, no, I've already won one for you guys. I don't want to be you know, too uh, whatever. Not sure what my point was I was making about that. but <laughs> Oh, I know what my point is, see? <laughs> Let's say somebody came to your house with a check from the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. And when they came there, they said, here, take this. And they were rude. They put out their cigarette in your carpet. Would you scream and yell and throw a fit? You'd say, that's rude of you, but I got the check, right? You'd be happy. You you could overlook all kinds of things, couldn't you? Now, on the other hand, what happened if someone came and did that, and they were from the sheriff's department, and they were summoning you to court? and they were rude and all those things. Could you toss that summons aside and say, I don't, I don't respond to people who are rude like that? Would the court say that's fine? Do you understand what I'm saying? When we give the gospel, we're giving a summons from the king to repent and turn from your sins and believe the gospel. You can do that winsomely. You can do that in a harsh way. We should do it in a kind way. But what matters is does the person respond? And they can't simply say, because I didn't like the way it was offered to me, I have no responsibility to turn from my sins. No, we preach the gospel to whoever we can, and Paul did that. He'd get in trouble wherever he was at, and then then he was pulled before King Agrippa, and then he appealed his case to Caesar, so they sent him off on a a prison ship, uh, which was hit by a terrible storm, and then he sunk, and uh, the adventure continued and continued. And Finally, he made it to Rome, where he was eventually beheaded by Nero, But what we don't know is if he was kept in custody that whole two years while he was there or whether he was released, went to Spain and came back to Rome and was rearrested and then executed. A number of the early church fathers suggest that that's what happened, but we don't know whether they're just supposing that from the text or whether they had reason to believe that otherwise. But you know, whether he made it to Spain or not, Paul died trying to get the gospel to anyone he could. You know, there's a number of great missionaries who've died trying to get the gospel out to the nations, isn't there? Think about William Carey. He was a shoemaker in his previous life. He taught himself Hebrew, Greek, and Latin and then went to India and translated the Bible in 29 different languages. I want to tell you, talk about a man with persistence. At one point, when he had finished his dictionary and his translation, it was almost all done, it all burned in a fire. It was the only copies he had. You know what he did? Well, let's just start over again. (laughs) Adonaiam Judson in Burma. It took him 12 years to see his first 18 converts. By the time he was done, though, he had established 100 churches with over 8,000 members. The Baptist Church of Myanmar still celebrates Judson Day each year to commemorate the arrival of the gospel to their country. David Livingston, he was a medical doctor. Never stayed in one place very long. He explored and mapped out much of southern and central Africa. He died of malaria. He literally died on his knees praying. He only made one convert, but he did much to open up that area to other missionaries. Hudson Taylor, he spent 51 years serving in China. He started the China Inland Mission, which brought over 800 missionaries to the country. He started 125 schools which directly resulted in 18,000 Christian conversions. One woman who was inspired by Taylor was Amy Carmichael. She applied to go to China, but was turned down because of her poor health. Undaunted, she went to India, where she served for 56 years without ever once going home. Eric Little, he was born in China to missionary parents. He won the gold medal in the 400-meter race in the 1924 Olympics after he went back to serve in the land that he loved. And in 1943, he was taken prisoner by the Japanese. He died in an internment camp in 1945 of a brain tumor. During his two years in captivity there, he preached the gospel to everyone he could and taught children. David Peach, a man I read an article from about this, said that he actually met some people who had been students uh, of his in the camp. And uh, they pointed out, that it was only years later that they ever found out that he was a gold medal winner. He never told anyone because they didn't think it was that important. They made a movie about him called Chariots of Fire. Great men and women of God who, like Paul, traversed the globe driven to bring the gospel to lost people who need the saving message of Jesus. Now, most of us are not going to be missionaries, though some of you younger God may call you. But all of us can support and pray for our missionaries. And whether it's going across the world, or just going across the street, or across the hall at our job, we need to be zealous in getting the gospel out to a perishing world. May God give us hearts for the lost, zeal to get the gospel out, so that those who are lost might be found. May He give us the grace. Let's pray. Our Father and God, what a catalog of people and many more that we could mention and many that will not even be named until Judgment Day who gave their lives so that other people would come to Christ. Father, I pray for us as well. I pray that you'd give us a hunger to know the gospel and to proclaim the gospel to people who need to hear the gospel. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. None of us would be Christians apart from him, Lord, humanly speaking. But you worked through him, a man who had been the great persecutor of the church, became the great promoter of the faith. So Father, we pray that we would also be people who proclaim the truth uh, to all who are around us. Give us opportunities, give us boldness, and then give us great joy when we see people come to Jesus. So bless us now, we ask in Christ's name.